Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, shed his blood on Calvary in order to make us all do what? Speak the same thing. Now what good is a king and what good is a law if we can go out and every man do that which is right in his own eyes? You cannot be saved until you're baptized. For Christ said in Mark 16, 16, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Sin is pleasurable. Sin is appealing. But sin never, never, never can satisfy the spiritual side of man. For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God, it pleased God through the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Thank you for joining us on the Biblical Christianity Podcast. So good to have you with us today. Today we've got a special podcast where we've got several members of our staff of the Texas School of Preaching with us. And so to our far right here, we've got Brother Mike Bonner, one of our instructors. We've got Brother Michael Light here with us as well. We've got Brother Rick Popejoy. And then my normal comrade, uh, excuse me, and that's uh, Mornay Stephanus and uh, Brother Tom Moore. Appreciate having all you guys here. We thought, since we're here at Nesbitt on the Standing in the Gap lectureship, that uh, we would uh, take advantage of having all these preachers here and all these staff members in, in one venue. And so we wanted to have the special podcast today. What we want to do is to begin to talk about preaching. We thought we've got a, a bunch of preachers gathered here today, so let's talk about preaching. When we think about preaching, gentlemen, we're, we're talking about our vocation, but certainly the importance of what we do is not because of us, not because of anything that we have generated in our own minds, in our own imagination. But when we look at the Word of God, we understand, as we've just read from 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 21, this is God's preferred method. It's His designed method of extending salvation to the world. We know that God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse number 4. We look at that passage of Scripture, we understand that the first is not possible without the latter. Men cannot be saved without coming to a knowledge of the truth. And of course, God has again orchestrated the vocation of preaching to be able to make sure that he can facilitate people coming to the knowledge of the truth. And so we want to look at preaching from a very comprehensive perspective today. We want to take a look at the biblical precedent. And of course, all of these gentlemen will weigh in on that momentarily. We want to talk about the biblical process. We're getting into the idea of hermeneutics and homiletics, uh, two indispensable components of the preaching process. We want to look at some biblical patterns as we open up our Bibles. Man, as early as Enoch, we have some wonderful examples of men who preached the gospel. Even if the Bible just tells us that these men were preachers of the truth, we want to take a look at them if we can. We want to look at some preaching practices things that preachers need to add to their repertoire of habits to become effective preachers or to maintain effectiveness in preaching. We want to look at some preaching perils. Unfortunately, not everyone that is preaching is preaching the truth. And obviously that is the foremost peril where our vocation is concerned. And then we'll look at the pricelessness of preaching in the end. And so, Brother Mike Bonner, when we talk about the precedent of preaching that we see in the Word of God, what, what do you think about? What passage of Scripture come to mind? 
You know, I was sitting there thinking about that. And Titus 1, verse number 3, there the Bible says, But as in due time manifested his word through preaching, through mm -hmm. preaching. It's interesting, uh, brother, that he didn't choose singing. He didn't choose other methods. He chose preaching. Mm -hmm. When Jesus was sent into the world, he was a preacher. When you think about what Paul said, he said, I'm a preacher, I'm a teacher, I'm a minister. And so when we think about preaching, the idea of proclamation, proclaiming, caruso, caruz, that's what we are. And so we have that responsibility to make sure that we understand that we're supposed to be preaching. Yeah, you mentioned that term caruz, you know, preacher, the term that's most often rendered preacher in our New Testament. It's from the Greek, and, and this is the idea of someone who is a herald. Yes, sir. Not of a message that he has originated, but of a message that comes from someone of authority over him. And so, obviously, inherent in that mm -hmm. idea is, is sticking to what it is is being taught and being preached. But Brother Rick, where else do we find some, some precedents where preaching is concerned? Well, of course, uh, 2 Timothy chapter uh, 4 verses, uh, verse 2 is the admonition to preach the word. Mm -hmm. uh, but I like to back up to verse number 1 because it gives you the precedent. Yeah. Uh, it's one thing for you and I to challenge one another or for uh, another human being to challenge another human being. But when you're challenged by uh, the Creator and you're challenged in the presence of the Creator, there is a greater uh, concept behind that, a, a m much more severe, uh, uh, in fact, uh, idea of, uh, oh, I better listen to this because this is business. So he says, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead, at his appearing and his kingdom. So he's gathered. Paul is not saying it's just me that's charging you. I'm charging you in the presence of God. I'm charging you in the presence of the creator and the judge of all men. And based upon that, that charge is to preach the word. That's it. You know, there's an inseparable link between the authority of God, the coming right. judgment and preaching. Man, we need to make sure we understand that, right, Brother Mike? Yes, sir. In fact, uh, preaching also, the idea of heralding is great. But we also, there's a persuasive element. That's right. Uh, these so. preachers that know him, when he preached, there was a desired result. Get in the boat. Yes, sir. So you want to put them in conflict. John 4, when, when Jesus is discussing with that Samaritan woman, he puts it on her. The man, who will bring your husband. He knew she didn't have a husband. Yes, sir. She sacked up. He wanted her to deal with that. Amen. So it's not just, you know, laying out material. And they decide. In a sense, yes, they decide. <clears throat> but in a sense, you help them. You have to be a little bit of a psychologist what affects people certain ways. A little bit of a historian. Where does this come from from the Bible? What their history is? You've got to get into trying to, to, to touch the emotions. And we don't talk about emotionalism. But you're, you're, you're not just telling them about God and Jesus the cross. That's fine. Yeah. This, what are you going to do with it? That's right. And when are you going to do it? Acts 2, prick the heart. Acts 7, prick the heart. Christ pricked the heart to the point they killed him. Mm -hmm. John had him in an uproar and they killed him. So, again, you're not trying to, the, the message will stir the, the people up, but your job is to get them to a desired result with becoming a child of God. That's right. right. And on our homiletics checklist, it's textual preaching. I've got several things on this checklist, but one, one set of things there is captivation, indoctrination, motivation. Amen. We want to make sure that we motivate. We want to captivate people, man. We stress to our young preachers that, man, don't get up there and bore somebody to death. I mean, that's, that's serious. That's right. You know, people might preach the truth. They might be telling the truth, but, but not preaching the Word of God the way that they ought to be preaching to, according to the precedent that we see in the Word of God. And right. so not only do you need to inform people, not only did you need to indoctrinate, but, but motivate them, as Brother Michael said, to do what it is God would have them to do, wouldn't it? Yes, the, the precedent of preaching 
you really have to go back to the Old Testament. Sometimes I think we make a, we disassociate the prophets with preachers, and yet yes, the prophets were preachers. That's and right. and when we think about uh, what we do as 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 teaching a young man and even older men uh, the art of preaching, that is what happened in the Old Testament. In Second Kings chapter two and verse three, we hear of the school of the prophets. Sure. Most of the time, we think prophets just popped out of uh, nowhere, and and you know they were just prophets. No, there was an actual school that these men went to where they were instructed, where they were taught on how to better serve the Lord in that capacity. Now, obviously, there were multiple multiple spheres of, of their work, uh, mm-hmm. uh, unlike what is for, for the preacher. Uh, in that respect, there's differences there. There's cer- certainly some marked differences. Mm-hmm. But generally speaking, they were proclaimers of the Word of God, and the same thing as the Kerux is, this, this office, this this herald, this public proclaimer for right. for the king. Mm-hmm. And when they proclaim, just to add on to the persuasive nature of it, we always talk about in school preaching like the prophets. Mm-hmm. When they proclaim, that proclamation was persuasive. It needed to be persuasive mm-hmm. because of the nature usually of the sins that the, uh, the people of God were engaged uh, in. Sure. But one cannot simply get in the pulpit with a, a, a nonchalant attitude. There must be a drive. I, I've never forget what someone said to me once. Uh, I said, well, I don't know what to, to do. You know, I've, I've got to preach. He says, you've got something to say? Yeah. I said, yes. He said, then say it. And so, and so that go. is the, the presentation of it and a great precedent coming all the way from the, from the Old Testament. That's exactly right. We've had people ask us about the authority behind preaching schools, and, and they ask us about it in that they're saying, well, what is their authority, biblical authority behind preaching schools? Most definitely. Brother Mornay has, has looked at one of the precedents, again, of the Old Testament of this school of the prophets. You know, the Bible indicates Samuel uh, was ahead of it at one time, Elijah was ahead of it at one time, and then, of course, the mantle was passed on to his protege, Elisha. And so we see a precedence where that is concerned. Of course, we go to the New Testament, we see the mentorship of Paul over Timothy and Titus. Men like this, obviously, the, the most uh, beautiful one of Jesus Christ over the apostles, Brother Tom. And so we see precedence all over the Bible, do we not? Exactly. You know, when I think about preaching, preaching was what brought the church into existence. Yes, sir. Bold preaching. And when I look at Acts chapter 3 and 4 and 5, you see the bold preaching that was taking place there. They were uh, thrown in jail. They come out, go right into the synagogue where they were, and boldly preach. And not only that, they were asking the brethren to pray for them that they would be bold preachers. That's one of the things that we're striving for at the Texas School of Preaching to produce bold preaching. I think that, and I remember, I've been preaching for almost 40 years now, and I look back at the preachers I see around today and the ones that I grew up with, there is a lack of boldness in the preaching, and that's one of the things we're striving for, right. and that is something that's needed. Mm-hmm. So, Mike. Well, and boldness, don't, don't confuse that with cockiness or mm-hmm. arrogance or condescension. That is not at all sure. method. Sure. It's a confidence in the Word of God and a passion for the mission. That's exactly that's right. That's the idea. And I like what Paul said in Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 10 and 11, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But how are we persuading them? We're not coercing them. We're using biblical argumentation from the Word of God. That's exactly right. We take that so very seriously. We've had some very spirited conversations with some of our our brethren (laughs) uh, recent past, and it's become very interesting to me, Brother Mike, that sometimes they begin their lines of argumentation 
in every other place other than the Bible. That's right. Tapping into every source other than the Word of God. And I always just, I'm very adamant about, let's get the discussion back in the Word of God. Because at the end of the day, Brother Rick, it really doesn't matter what we think, right? That's right. That's exactly right. And you find that, you find those examples all throughout uh, the book of Acts. We talked about uh, the example of Paul and training uh, not just Timothy and Titus, but he also had Silas and Luke. And uh, mm -hmm. there's a host of others that traveled with him so for this training process. And uh, so, and, and his preaching uh, he persuaded men, right? Mm -hmm. uh, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian a was, the, right. uh, was the uh, terminology. I like uh, uh, what he did with uh, Felix. Uh, mm -hmm. He reasoned with him. That's the persuading yes, process, uh, reasoning with people. That was his methodology in uh, Thessalonica was to reason, open the scripture so that people might be able to see it and press upon them. This is something that must be obeyed. That's Rick, it. Of the passage after the one you just mentioned about almost, yep. he comes back, here's his heart. All I would that you were almost and all together yeah, as I right. am except for these bonds. That's so right. that shows you the heart of the preacher. That's right. He wanted him right. converted. And when I'm talking about Felix real quickly, did Brother Rick just brought up the content of what he said. The Bible says he preached him about temperance, righteousness, and the judgment to come. And if you know some things about Felix and Brother Mike, you mentioned a moment ago that where the, the preaching craft is concerned, man, we got to get in the book. We got to get into contemporaneous history that might be relevant to what the book is saying. And you look at people like Felix that Luke, by inspiration, calls by name. Man, do some background on the guy. And you find out why Paul preached that yeah. specific sermon to him. So talk yeah. to that. First uh, Timothy 4.13, till I come, give attention to reading. Mm -hmm. I, I do believe that's pertinent to what you're saying. Give attention to reading, mm -hmm. to doctrine, right? Mm -hmm. And so here you have uh, two distinctions. Give attention to reading. Uh, make sure you're well-educated. Meditate upon these things. Mm -hmm. Give yourself to them. And notice what the result is, that thy profiting may appear to all. I think it is evident when someone gets in the pulpit, that we can tell that this individual has not studied. And uh, maybe they don't know that, that the brethren may not know, uh, but usually it becomes very evident. You can do it. I told a young preacher years ago, I said, you can do that for a, a, a couple of times before right. people start catching on mm -hmm. that you're not someone who is in the book, someone who is reading, someone who is meditating mm -hmm. upon the scriptures mm -hmm. so that you are able to reason. As Brother Pope Jay mentioned, someone is going to pick that up. It is our duty to be in the book, to be able to to be able to persuade, and how can you persuade? How could you? How could we possibly persuade anyone if we are not uh, number one person, like you said, persuaded ourselves? But also, if we're not in the book, if yes, we sir. are not studying and and reasoning through it. Yeah, I think also one of the things that's unique that I really like about the Texas School of Preaching is we have preachers who are training pre-preachers. Yes, and I think that's significant. We, everyone on our staff is men of experience mm -hmm. who are sound in doctrine. You know, there are some schools that just have kind of like a, an educator, mm -hmm. you know, and they get Bible knowledge, but we're teaching men here how to proclaim the Word of God boldly, mm -hmm. men who are experienced, men who are sound, and I think that's critical. That's what our world needs yeah. today. It's, it's no doubt about it. When you think about Nehemiah chapter 8, and you guys can take it there, yes, but Nehemiah chapter 8, verse number 8, that's our motto that we've adopted for the Texas School of Preaching. And so I love the, the seven verses that precede that. In the beginning, the Bible says that the people brought the, the word to, to Ezra and wanted him to preach, preach to us the yeah. word of God. 
And so the Bible says that they obliged, they preached the word of God. And so verse number eight, uh, they read in the book and the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused the people to, to understand the reading. And so at the end of the day, people who are honest, that's what they want out of the preaching is to give us a sense and cause us to understand the reading. Brother, I'm glad you went to Nehemiah 8. I went there right before you started saying that. Same. And the idea of reading keeps coming up in Nehemiah chapter 8, nice. which means that the preacher, if he's going to really be a preacher of God's word, he needs to read. Same. And you think about the preacher Paul in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 3 through 5, especially with verse number 3 and 4. He said, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which was revealed by the Holy Spirit. And, and you start, and so when we stop and think about this, we need to be people, need to be brethren who get the people in the Word of God. I tell young preachers all the time, you can preach, you can uh, quote the Bible all you want to. Go ahead, but you need to get God's people in the Bible. Amen. They need to be able to see God's Word for themselves. Mm -hmm. And so you can get up there, you quote all the passages, that's fine, but it ain't about us. Get the people in the Word of God. That's it. Give them a little bit of time. I mean, I'm a big advocate, a fan of, of that preacher knowing that word like the back of his hand so he can get up there, step away from his notes and yes. deliver. But at the same time, we want to be mindful that we're trying to get these people to understand God's word. And so sometimes right. we might need to slow down. Slow down. Mike, you and I are the same, man. We no. kind of kind of go fast sometimes. <laughs> you know, tie in with what Mike just said and back to what Mornay said. And I stressed to the young man last week at school, I want you to be the smartest guy in the room when you walk in. Mm -hmm. But don't you ever act like you're the smartest guy in the room. So you're learning this stuff to Amen. help you convey this yep. book. That's right. It's not about the history, the whatever it is you study, the Greek language, whatever. You need that. But the, don't that that is don't let the tail wag the dog. That's to right. make you a more effective communicator That's of right. this. That's and right. don't you if some I, I despise what I would call self ingratiation, people who seem to be pretty full mm -hmm. of their knowledge. Now sometimes you get accused of that falsely. Right. But I'm saying you need to know it. But it's not about saying, I know this, I know this, I know this, I have this degree, I have that degree. No, no, no. That's all. Jesus never played that card. That's right. Paul never played that. Paul was highly educated, never said a word about it. Yeah. You use it, though, in the communication skills that are required to dispel this. That's exactly right. So we've, I think, pretty thoroughly exhausted in the time that we've allotted to this the idea of the biblical precedent. There's no doubt about it. The Bible tells us that preaching is a part of God's plan. Preaching is part of God's plan. We can't debate that. <clears throat> Some people want to get away from it. They want to try to ignore it, but you cannot deny it if you're a biblical student that preaching is a part of the plan. Right. Let's move on to looking at some biblical patterns. And so we're talking about uh, maybe our favorite preacher. Maybe one of you guys talk about your favorite preacher in the Bible, Brother Tom. Well, I'm a big fan of Amos. Yes, uh, when I think of Amos, I've always considered myself a corn pone preacher. I'm a country guy. I like to keep it plain and simple and slow so the people can see it. And here's a man by the, by the name of Amos who got out there and preached the word of God distinctly, which is what we want. He got it on the level of the people. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that was interesting to me about him and other prophets like him, uh, he was uh, just like they are. You know, uh, we can't be ourselves up in some kind of a pedestal. That's right. I mean, we've got to be just like the people. I know when I preach at country churches, I get out there with my cowboy hat, we'd have coffee in the morning with the guys, and they didn't see me as a gospel preacher. They saw me as Tom Moore who preached the gospel, and mm -hmm. I think that's critical, and I think we can learn a lot of that from prophets who got with the people, got up down on their level, and taught them in a, in a very fabulous way. Sure. Good yeah, I, I like Jude, and uh, the reason I like Jude is because of the way he approaches, uh, you know, when he's writing, 
and what I tell the students all the time, they're probably tired of me hear, uh, hearing me say this, preach with purpose. Mm -hmm. Preach with purpose. When you get into the pulpit on Sunday, what are you saying and why are you saying it? Are you just saying it because, you know what, you thought it was interesting, or are you actively involved with the congregation and you know this needs to be said because of whatever's happening in the congregation, whatever's, you know, sister so-and-so is dealing with this, brother so-and-so is dealing with this, we're dealing with this overarching problem here, that's why I'm preaching it. I maybe have a theme for the year or what we're trying to do, or something's happening in the brother. Whatever it is, preach with purpose. And I, I like Jude for that. Where he says, you know, I was going to write unto you about this, but listen, Something's happening over here, and it's needful for me to say, uh, to say that. And so I like that approach, and I like Jude, and the way he approaches what he says. He, he, he does not mince words. I think uh, all of us in this, uh, you know, in this podcast, I don't think any of us mince words when we get into the, in, into the pulpit, and I like that about Jude. You know, he calls them out, and he tells them exactly how it is. Yeah, uh, there's, of course, we're talking about biblical preachers, but uh, one of our good friends, all of, good friend to all of us on this panel, is Brother Michael Shepherd, and, and he did a gospel meeting for us when I was in Kendall, Louisiana, a number of years ago, and we thought that uh, we were going to have some visitors that morning, and we didn't have any that morning, and so he gets in the pulpit. You know, I told him I said, you know, he asked if we have any visitors. I don't, we don't have any this morning. So he gets in the pulpit and says, man, I was always taught you don't go bear hunting with buckshot. And so I'm going to change up. And you know, so he's got that ability. He studied so much that he had the ability to change course in the, you know, before he ever got into the pulpit and preach something that was going to be more conducive to the audience that was there. And so, yeah, the, the relevance of what we're saying needs to be taken into consideration. What about you, Brother Rick? You know, this, this is a hard question because every one of us probably has one, uh -huh. but there are so many to choose from. Mm. Uh, I think of the loftiness of Isaiah, and I think of uh, the colorfulness of Ezekiel. Mm. Uh, and I, then I think of the uh, where I fit in and the one that I probably enjoy the most, and I think it's probably because of who I am, is Jeremiah. Mm. Jeremiah was just a blunt force object, and uh, you know, every, every, all, all uh, six of us here, we, we have different styles, and so we're also attracted to different, uh, uh, you know, the loftiness of uh, Terrence ain't going to come from me, and so, uh, but uh, uh, I, I, Jeremiah just fits my style so much, and, and the book of Jeremiah is so much about who the preacher is, Jeremiah. And uh, so I, I, Jeremiah is one of my favorite uh, uh, out, of, out of the biblical ones. So something you said, I, I'll mention one of my favorites as well, probably the favorite, obviously. But, um, you know, something you said a moment ago, you know, we have different styles. Not only that, God has blessed us with different qualities. Yes. So you said, you know, the yes. loftiness of Terrence, but I'm thinking about the, the <laughs> voice of Rick. I wish yeah. I had vo you know, Rick's voice, man, I do. I don't think I have a very strong speaking voice but uh, you know try to elevate and do what we need to do to, to make sure people can hear what we're saying but you know some people have great presence some people have great voices some people have great personalities i love the preaching vocation yes and that god set this thing up for his message to be able to be communicated through the various people personalities character traits behaviors conduct of those who are preaching the word of god man we need to preach the truth without any type of compromise but we're all going to do it in different different ways. Jesus Christ, obviously, is probably one of all of our favorite preachers. Obviously, somebody mentioned a moment ago, I think, Brother Tom, that God's son was a preacher. And whenever you think about quintessential 
preaching by Jesus Christ in the book of Luke chapter 4, beginning there at verse number 16, where he comes to the place where he'd been brought up in Nazareth. And the Bible says that he opens up the, the book when he gets into the synagogue and he opens a place mm -hmm. that we know as Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1 and 2. And the Bible says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, and set at liberty to them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. I think in that statement, you see what a, a comprehensive preaching repertoire looks like. We see that his preaching was spirit-filled. We know that means a little something for, different for us than it meant for Christ. We're not inspired, but we have the inspired Word of God in front of us. And so spirit-filled, number one, it was biblically rich. Number two, it was emotionally therapeutic. Number three, it was uh, spiritually liberating. Number four, uh, it was intellectually enlightening. Number five, it was absolutely urgent. Number six, and when you read on down, the Bible says they were astonished and wondered at the gracious words that proceeded out of his mouth. It was graciously delivered. And so, man, you go through those seven points, man, and that's preaching. Man, Christ shows us what a, a preacher looks like. I want to say this, and this goes for preacher students as well as preachers, and I've, I've witnessed guys in the pulpit if you can't find a man in the Bible you preach like, it's not biblical preaching. Amen. So you, you need to have a model, and they'll be different. Uh, mine might surprise you because I know I have one reputation, but I think I'm somewhat different than maybe I'm thought about. But uh, I, I relate to Samuel. It crushed him to see what Saul was doing. It crushed him to see what the people were. So when, when Saul says, I've obeyed the word of God, and he said, then what is this hearing, you know, bleeding the sheep and the lone oxen? He was direct. But you see, he was concerned. I don't think you truly can preach, not like God wants you to, if you are not pouring everything you've got into trying to save that person. Yes, sir. It's not about this, even it's not really about the sermon, it's not about you, it's not about the delivery. It's really about can I convey this to that heart? And the one I aspire to be like it would be Barnabas. You know, you want every person who comes into you to be edified, to be built up, to be on the right path, going the right way, and staying that way. So I would say a kind of amalgamation of Samuel and, and Barnabas would be the two, if I'm not, that I try to be, relate to the people, feel for the situation, try to make an impact in the way you're preaching, staying with God in the process, direct because you can't get there any other way. And then always trying to, the ultimate reason is to get us all to heaven, which is going to be the ultimate in building us all up. Beautiful. Brother Mike. Hands down, Micaiah. Hands down. And uh, it's just something about a man of God that won't be persuaded to go against God. Yes, sir. And it doesn't matter what he's facing, who he's facing. And I love how you said, hey, the other prophets already said these things. You go and you say the same thing, and everything's going to be copacetic. Okay. I said, whatsoever the Lord saith unto me, that shall I speak. Yeah, and yeah. so, uh, hands down. And, and I love how he followed through. Mm -hmm. So, even though he was confronted, he followed through. But then, I would say the heart of a Paul, because in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse number 8, Paul would say that not only did we share the gospel of God with you, but even our own personal lives. And I, I love being personal with people because I truly believe that God is a personal God. And when we stop and consider that, trying to get to where people are and help them to be where God wants them to be. And I think Micaiah did that too. Yeah, absolutely. Man, we could do this all day, man. I mean, there's so many wonderful preaching mm -hmm. examples in the Bible, but we got to move on for the sake of time. Let's get on into the, the third point I want to deal with, and that is preaching practices. When we talk about preaching practices, I'm talking about practical things that are going to be conducive to us being effective 
in the pulpit, effective in the pulpit, effective as ministers of gospel, as effective as servants among a congregation. And so I want to look at some of those things. That, one thing that comes to my mind is this. We tell our young preacher students and old preacher students as alike, and fall in love with the Word of God. Mm-hmm. Fall in love with the Word of God. I mean, I, I don't know if I can, uh, I don't know if I know how to articulate that. Sure. Uh, and in great detail as far as the process, fall in love with the Word of God, man. I remember going to preacher school 27 years ago at Brown Trail, and, and I'm telling you, man, I, I was in love with my wife, and I found a, a, another love, man. She had to share me at that point, man, with the Word of God. That's the only one she would share me with. But, but the Word of God, man, I fell in love with it, man. Whenever I see people go through preaching school and they come out and it's evident that they have not fallen in love with the Word of God, and you can see that in their lack of desire to continue to preach, their lack of perseverance, their lack of diligence, or whatever the case may be, whatever manifestation they show, I don't understand how it happened. How did that happen? How did you go sit down and get saturated with the Word of God at the feet of of good men, strong, powerful preachers for two years, and you come out and were not in love with this thing? I remember the courtship with my wife was a two-year process at the (laughs) University of Oklahoma, and when I went to Brown Trail, man, that's the only thing I could compare it to, man. I fell in love with this thing, man. But Harris, I'm going to make one quick point. You can make 50 of things that will help you as a preacher, and we may get those in the group. But one thing I've been doing lately, I heard a preacher mention this last year, and I've started it, and that's reading the New Testament once a month, every month. Mm-hmm. And, and I've always studied, always done a lot of memory work and so forth, but that has been the most beneficial thing I've done maybe ever. Mm-hmm. Things just come quickly. You know what chapter things are in. And, I mean, yeah. the verses just jump. Mm-hmm. The one last night, the conversation we had just came out. Because you, you, you're, you're, you're so into it every single month. Mm-hmm. That takes discipline. It may not be the falling in love, like the you know following your heart stuff as much as now. This is more of a head decision. Thirty minutes a day or less, you can do that, and then I think it has a powerful effect on our preaching because it's just gonna. You can't be around that much with the Word of God and not have some effect from it. I said, "What you guys?" I was thinking that uh, when I read, I read uh, with sermons in mind. Mm-hmm. I have a sermon seed, and I when I'm reading the Bible, hey, here's a great sermon. I write it down. I have a circle around it. As I said, and I have a in my phone book or, or my phone, whatever, I have a section for song, for sermons. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I'm talking to somebody, hey, there's a sermon, you know, because we're trying to get across to the people things that they need. And so mm-hmm. when we're studying, oh, I know brother so-and-so, he could really benefit from this. And so you write those things down. And so when you're reading and studying Old Testament, New Testament, do so with sermon preparation in mind. That's, that's good. I want these two guys weighing on that, definitely. But, man, the two of you guys going back to back just made me think about, you know, always tell these guys, look at the scriptures with homiletical spectacles. And that's what you're talking about, man. See the sermon there. And what you're saying is invaluable as well. Sometimes we just need to read. And I tell my students, man, sometimes I try to do that. I try to set forth time just to read, nothing else, man. I just want to relax my mind, read, read become more familiar. And like I said, 30 seconds in, man, I'm writing sermon outline, so it's hard to do, brother, when you're a preacher. It's hard to do what Brother Michael was talking about, but uh, we do need to do both. Yeah, I, I think I want to focus in on, as far as practical is concerned, on the craft of preaching. Uh, we try to emphasize in the school, you know, preaching is a craft. It is an art form. It is something that you have to to learn the, the presentation of the homiletics. The Word of God stays the same, but the, the homiletics of it and how to present and how to do so, uh, uh, for a lack of a better term, artistically. 
I would encourage young preachers uh, to critique themselves. I would encourage them to learn to hone your skills. I, I, t I spoke about this this morning at the breakfast table. I have a file folder on my computer, and it's, it's, it's called Better Preaching. And it is since I've started preaching, I have every sermon recorded that I've, that I've preached, and I have critique for every sermon. I have two or three pages of over the years of what, where I've gone wrong, what I need to do better. And that has helped me immensely to be able to look at it and say, you know, as Brother Rick was saying, uh, I think we were talking about this the other day as I was preaching and I was saying, uh, uh, so you see, so you see, so you see. And so I stopped saying that. And then I was preaching. Yes, I was, well, so now. I said, well, now you're saying so. Those are the type of things. This is a craft. You need to not just, you graduate from preaching school and now you're, you're never looking at that craft again. Right. You need to continue yes. to build yes. yourself, and the way you do that is by looking at yourself critically, and it does not stop. It still happens today. Yes, sir. Uh, listen, I want to go back to something that uh, Brother Terrence was saying, because in Psalm 119, uh, that's a love letter uh, from God about His Word, but also with the psalmist there. And he says, uh, I will delight myself in thy commandments, which I have loved. My hands will I lift up under thy commandments, which I have loved, and I will meditate in thy statutes. I can't tell you how many times he says, yeah. I love, I delight, I, it's my joy, it's my, it is my passion. And so you must begin there uh, with regard to that. Mm -hmm. But, you know, Paul spoke of his methodology right. uh, on many occasions. Uh, the very first books that I love to study with a congregation are First mm -hmm. and 2 Thessalonians mm -hmm. because it's all about the affection that a preacher should have for the local congregation and the local congregation should have for that preacher. Right. And so I want them to understand uh, how much I love being here and doing what I get the privilege to be able to do, which yeah. is to preach and to teach the Word of God. But it's, it's also about my character. We're talking about uh, the ideal of uh, uh, the habits. If, if my character is out of whack, it don't matter how polished I might be, right. my work is going to be affected. And so Paul says, mm -hmm. for yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in unto you that it was not in vain. Yes, and he talks about his character. He didn't come to them uh, with uncleanliness or uh, uh, covetousness or flattering words. He came unto them, even though he had been persecuted at other places, he didn't bring that to Thessalonica. He didn't bring Philippi to Thessalonica. Yeah, that's good. Man. And uh, so character and mm -hmm. character development, I think, is absolutely essential to a good preacher in the pulpit. I, I love what you said there, Brother Rick. Man, he didn't bring that. I mean, we know the difficult time that the Apostle Paul had as a gospel preacher. He mm -hmm. kind of cataloged some of that in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And like you said, man, sometimes we'll go through some of the same experiences, maybe not to the extent that the Apostle Paul did. Thank God we live in a time and a day and age in a country mm -hmm. where we don't have to deal with that just yet. But uh, we, we deal with some rough outings sometimes as gospel preachers. And like you said, not to bring that to another congregation is, is so important. And as you're talking about falling in love with that congregation, puts me in the mind of the book of Philippians. Mm -hmm. Old brother Avon Malone was a, a mentor and a good friend of mine, one of our instructors at the Brown Trail a number of years ago before he passed. And he used to call the book of Philippians, you know, Paul's love letter to that congregation, he called that his sweetheart church in his commentary <laughs> on Philippians. And so that's exactly right. But let's move forward, man. Lots of good habits that preachers need to establish and, and we certainly have no ability to exhaust that list in this short amount of time. 
Maybe with Terrence. You know, one other thing that could, not really this environment today, mm -hmm. but the preacher's relationship with his wife. My wife and I talk a lot of Bible too. She's, you know, she's doing a series right now on, on kings and prophets. It's just amazing me. Mm -hmm. Don't fail to tap into that resource if you've got a wife that's got that, that yeah. acumen behind her because mm -hmm. that, that can be a great support and she'll be honest in her assessment of what you're doing as well. Right. Yeah, exactly a little right. bit too honest for my life. Easy now. This should be in tape. More they said he goes and looks at his and critiques, man. And, you know, we, we got a built-in critique. Man. But, uh, but no, like like I said, man, I, I value, value, value my wife and what she has brought to my life and what she brings to my table as a gospel preacher as well because, like I said, I want her honesty and she, man, this is, I might be getting mushy now, man, but <laughs> but, but we were, we were, you know, sitting in bed years ago just kind of, you know, before we went to bed and, and, and reading and things that we do and I just happened to look over, she was studying and I was doing some reading, I looked over and her or uh, folders she had. She keeps these folders and she had on there, Terrence Brownlow Dindy is my favorite preacher. Oh. I was like, man. Well, I, I, I spoiled up, man. Look, look, look we, we, we hear people tell us all the time, you know, good job, good job, God. That's generally just most people's greeting Amen. to the preacher's yeah. good job. I'm like, it doesn't really matter to me a whole lot what anybody else thinks other than Jesus Christ and my wife when it comes to my preaching. I think that's absolutely <laughs> true. I, I always tell my wife, listen, I preach better yes. when you're in the audience. Yeah, man. Uh, it's almost like I have something to prove. Maybe I have some, I'm still trying to impress her, <laughs> yeah, or, you yeah. know, but I preach better when she's in the audience. Yes, indeed. Well, Mike, uh, you got something over there? Well, when I, when I think of what Evelyn says at times, she says, uh, not only are you a preacher of the gospel, but you're a man of God. Yeah. And some of the habits that I've formed in my mind that keeps me grounded, a lot of y'all have said most of those things, but there are two things mm -hmm. that are habit forming that I've done over the years. Number one, Luke 17, 10. Mm -hmm. I know that I'm just an unprofitable servant doing what I'm supposed to do. So when I'm preaching and teaching, I'm learning what God says, it convicts me. It causes me to repent right then as I'm preaching. I don't have to wait mm -hmm. till I get before the congregation say, y'all pray for me. I'm going to take care of this. Yes, Number two, I'm reminded. Mm -hmm. It reminds me of who I am. And when I think of the, of the perfect law of liberty, James 1, 21 through 25, especially verse number 25, the idea of stooping into the word of God, mm -hmm. I can tell when my mind goes off, I haven't been stooping. Yes, so I got to keep stooping into the word of God. And so, if you ain't stooping, you're stupid. That's right. <laughs> that's, that's good stuff, right. man. I like you're first. <laughs> well, let's move on, gentlemen, man. There's so much good stuff, man. I'm telling you, I, one of the things I love about these panels and these podcasts we do together is that, man, I get my cup so full but just listen to what you guys have to say. And so I appreciate you so much. Let's move on into preaching perils. Unfortunately, unfortunately, when we talk about preaching, this, this craft, this art, this vocation, this uh, method that God has orchestrated and designed whereby salvation could be advanced and perpetuated among humanity, the church can be strengthened, strengthened and edified. Not everybody's doing it right. We look in the Bible, both in the Old and New Testament. We see not everybody was doing it right. We go to the book of First, or excuse me, Second Peter, chapter one, verse number twenty and verse number twenty-one, and we're familiar with this passage, knowing this first, no prophecy of the Scriptures of any private interpretation. For prophecy came not in the old time by the will of men, but holy men of God spake as they were moved or borne along by the Holy Spirit. You get to verse number one of chapter two, and it's a continuation of the thought. It's an That's unfortunate right. chapter break. Peter says, "But there are also false prophets." Oh, yeah. Back in those days, even as there should be false 
uh, teachers. teachers among you. Right. And so Peter has to lament and he has to de devote a whole what we call a chapter to dealing with this idea mm -hmm. that there are people who will not respect the authority of God. They will not respect the integrity of the scriptures. They will not respect uh, this office and this vocation and the souls that they are preaching to above all to preach as God tells us to preach and to preach what God tells us to preach. What say you guys about that? Well, you know, I think uh, in that regard, I think of uh, John chapter 10 and when he's discussing the hireling, mm -hmm. you know, that the sheep are coming, mm -hmm. uh, the wolves are coming to attack the sheep. It says there in uh, John chapter 10, mm -hmm. uh, he desire, that is a hireling That's right. and not a shepherd whose own the sheep are not, but holdeth the wolf, cometh, leaveth the sheep, fleeth, the wolf snatches them and scattereth them, and it says it all because he is a hireling. Right. There are some gospel preachers who are more concerned with keeping their cushy job and their big paycheck than they are standing for what is right. Yeah, and sometimes it's going to cost you your job. Mm -hmm. uh, I've been in places where they say, you can't preach this anymore. I said, well, you can't tell me what not to preach. So I go somewhere else. Mm -hmm. You know, we can't have that mentality, and that's true with so many people, mm -hmm. especially when People are afraid. I got. I got to provide for my family. Yeah. But I have never had trouble finding a preaching job. There are people who want sound gospel preachers, and you cannot let the money, right. the hireling part of it, keep yeah. you from being solid and preaching always what is true. That's it. David said, I've been young, now I'm old. I've never seen a righteous forsaken nor seed begging bread. All of us have been through in precarious situations where because we're standing solid and firm on the truth, there are people who did not like it, and we've, some of us have been in places where the elders you know, assumed that they had the authority to tell us to, to hit the road because mm -hmm. they didn't like the truth that was being proclaimed and whose, whose toes it was stepping on. But like you, uh, Brother Tom, man, Sheena and I, we've never been without, man, I've never gone a day hungry. Look, I've been, been fired a couple of times for preaching the truth because I would not compromise or waver from preaching the truth. And here's something I could say. We've never been without food, not a night in our lives, not a day, never been without a roof over our head, never been without clothes on our backs. God will take care right. of his faithful gospel preacher. He'll take care of us. You know, yeah. I've got the opposite extreme on that. I've been in the same place almost, our 28th anniversary will be here in about a month. Yeah. And uh, when we got there, the two guys before us, they've both been there quite a while, five, six, seven years each. Uh, good guys, but soft, soft, soft. You know, not the kind of guys we're trying to put out. Okay, mm, yes, decent men, but not good preachers. The congregation had a pretty large segment of liberalism in it. ACU's right down the road from us. Yes, but what we did have, we had three good elders who were trying to find a good man. And mm. when we came, I came in there, 26 years old, you know, just young. And one of those elders had this Bible. He says, "Son, if you preach what's in that black book, you'll be here as long as you want to." He just recently passed Love on it. But, but if you have a good eldership, talk about two young preachers. Watch where you're going. You know, you watch these flip house commercials, uh, the TV shows. If you walk into a congregation that's got a lot of problems, a lot of restoration work's got to be done, and you may be able to finish it, you may not. But if there's faithful elders, you can get through any situation that comes up. And they're still hard, and they're still traumatic, and they still break your heart, and you'll lose friends, and you'll have people that you thought loved you, you know, stick in the back, that kind of stuff happens. But a good eldership, that's how I would judge a congregation. Okay, how big the building is, how much money they got. If the elders are men of God, right. everything else works. It's almost like God knew what he was doing. Yeah, yeah, he designed man. the church, you know. Man, absolutely did. I think about almost. 2 Timothy chapter 4, you know, morning, speak to this. 
and Brother Rick had mentioned it already, that's obviously our quintessential passage as preachers. Mm -hmm. But preach the word, be instant, in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. Uh, tell the students in homiletics, you know, we pick some of these passages of scripture and kind of show them how they unfold uh, homiletically and sometimes it's easy, sometimes it's more challenging. But when you look at that, verse number two, it's, it's easy, man. He tells you what to preach. He tells you when to preach. He tells you how to preach. Right. Right, preach. Yeah, and, he, and I want to go back to Galatians. The Apostle Paul, I think at the core here of, as we're talking about the perils of preaching, I want to go to Galatians chapter 1 and verse 10. Notice what Paul says as he rebukes them for preaching another gospel. Mm -hmm. And uh, he said, as I say before in verse 9, so I say unto you again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that which you have received, let him be accursed. Mm -hmm. For do I now persuade men? Yeah. And that, I think, is the crux of the matter. I think Brother Bonner has the saying, when he gets in the pulpit, he doesn't have any friends. And I think that's what many false teachers, uh, uh, that's what they do. Mm -hmm. They are trying to persuade man. They're trying to climb some type of ladder they're trying to impress some uh, individuals in the brotherhood or whatever the case may be. Or and denominationalism. Or denominational, uh, denominationalism. They're, they're trying to do something in relation to man instead of thinking, I, I need to please God first and foremost. Right. And so if I'm going to preach the word and be instant in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long suffering and doctrine, to whom am I doing that? For whom am I doing that? I'm doing that for the Lord, but as soon as I lose focus, of that, mm -hmm. then I'm going to head into false. Much easier to get into false doctrine when I know, you know, when you're trying to please man. Exactly right. And the book of Second Timothy still, if you go back a couple of chapters to, to chapter number two, and you begin there at verse number 14, and you go down to verse number 18, man, Paul really speaks to this idea of some of the perils that accompany men who will not teach the truth of God. Man, sometimes people think, man, maybe we're just belly aching. Maybe you guys are just too hard. You're too intolerant. This, that, and the other. You know, sounds like postmodernism nonsense to, to us. But, but the fact of the matter is, there are serious, serious damages that occur. There's collateral damage that accompanies a man who will not preach the truth. If you look at verse number 14, of these things, put them into remembrance, charging them before the Lord that they strive not about number one, words to no profit. So this is a it's a synonym for false doctrine. They're striving about words to no profit. Why is that a problem? Look what he goes on to say. But to the subverting of the hearers, katastrophe is the word in the Greek language. It's a word from which we get catastrophe. Right. It's just a direct uh, transliteration of that Greek term. And so right. we all understand what the word catastrophe means. No explanation needed. If you keep going, we know verse number 15, study you show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. He goes on to say, but shun profane and vain babblings. There's another synonym to false doctrine. Shun profane and vain babblings. Why? What's the problem? For they will increase the more ungodliness. When men are not preaching the truth, when they're preaching that, you know, it's okay for us to, to drink a little alcohol, smoke a little dope, uh, you know, do a little carousing, go out to a club once in a while, uh, smoke cigarettes, watch a little pornography. Man, whenever people are preaching that these things are okay, that is conducive to producing more godliness. People are sitting in the wings waiting for some mm -hmm. preacher, some false teacher to tell them that it's okay for me to engage in the sin that I want to engage in, right? Mm -hmm. I want to make a comment on everything that has just been said because the preaching with the gospel preacher leads him to be a good minister. Mm -hmm. Amen. Yeah. 
Okay, so, and I made the comment on Wednesday, and I tell young preachers this all the time, that 20% of your work is in that pulpit. 80% is outside of the pulpit. You got to deal with people. And so you can't get up there and preach strong and then get out in the pew and soften up. Be consistent in the pulpit and out of the pulpit. And so I don't mind telling someone, so you, just because I'm not in the pulpit, you want me to say something different? That's right. We're not going to say anything different. Just because I'm sitting in your house eating your, your, your chocolate cake, you think I'm going to say something different? Yeah, I'm not going to say nothing different. I'm going to say the same thing I'm going to say publicly. Yeah. And so when I think of 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 6, Jason brought this out last night. It was a great point. You'll be a good minister of Jesus Christ, mm -hmm. nourished up in the words mm -hmm. of faith. But in the context, he's dealing with false teaching, yeah. false living. So excellent points. You know, Terrence, you mentioned the word tolerance. Just don't get this twisted. We're to be patient with people. That's we right, tolerate man. nothing. That's right. Seriously. That's right, brother. That's I'm right. patient as a man or woman or myself and working through an issue that's toward right. God. You do not tolerate sin. That's how that's the, the world defines it. That's yeah. good we point. should tolerate the stuff you just listed. No, sir. Yeah. That's sin every time. That's right. Also, I didn't give them a space of an hour. Oh, wow. yeah. You have no occasion for the man that's six occasion. Right. That's right. So that's the idea here. So we, we are totally immovable. Yeah. It's not. There's no compromise. There's no yield on any truth. That's right. That's right. And we'll work with you patiently to get that. That's We're right. not going to compromise the truth. Right? That's right. Sometimes there's a fine line, brother Rick, between long suffering and tolerance, That's and right. we don't ever want to cross that line because God doesn't give us the authority right. to do that. We look at His address to the congregation at Thyatira over in the book mm -hmm. of Revelation, chapter two, and the first problem he's got with that congregation is that you suffer, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel that is teaching my servants Good to point. fornicate yeah. and eat things that are mm -hmm. sacrificed to idols. God doesn't allow that; doesn't permit it. And, and the danger of that, not only was she there and they were suffering her, but now she has caused others mm. to enter into her bed with that. And you stop, I thought, just a little too short. My brother, I love you, but Keep you going, man. Second Timothy oh, chapter, teamwork, brother, chapter teamwork. 2, uh, <laughs> verse number 17 says, And, yes. and their word doth eat as a, a canker. canker. The dangerous nature of what we're talking about mm -hmm. is so severe that we cannot tolerate uh, this kind of behavior. It always has to be reproved, rebuked in that regard. Let me give you a very quick cultural analysis. The transgender stuff that's so woken in our face right now. Mm -hmm. I would say culturally started, let's say, the show Three's Company back in the late 70s hmm. with the Jack Ritter character, kind of mm -hmm. a funny, you know, pretending to be a homosexual guy. Then you have homosexual characters, but they're always fun. It's kind of funny. We laugh at it. You kind of get used to it. And now all of a sudden you've got RuPaul in your face, right? Mm -hmm. So you tolerated step one. Mm -hmm. And in the church, same thing, false doctrine or weak brethren. You kind of let this go. and You kind of let that go. You can't let it go. Right. Because it's cancer. Mm -hmm. That's right. Evil men wax worse and worse. There's no evil men right. don't stop. You got to yes. stop them. Mm -hmm. False doctor doesn't stop. You have to falsify it and stop it. Yeah. And, and and sometimes that burden falls heavily on elders and on preachers. But somebody's got to be a man in the room and stop it. That's right. That's right. You know, another place I would like to go, and I know it's not false doctrine in the sense that we're talking about, but there is a, a, a false doctrine that. Uh, people might say, well, that's not to the same level, but I think it is mm -hmm. from this vantage point. When I begin to think that my methodology of preaching mm. is the only methodology of preaching, yeah, good teaching. And, I, and I hear this uh, uh, with regards to, say, for example, topical, textual, or expository preaching, Probably. and uh, there, you find all of those uh, uh, exemplified 
and authorized in the Bible. Mm -hmm. But when I began to think that you have to do it like me, right. we're talking about these areas in which are expediency mm -hmm. and opinion, mm -hmm. then I need to leave it in that field. So I can, I, I can, I can loosen up God's Word mm -hmm. or I can tighten it up right. to where it fits on. Now it's not really God's Word, it's my Word. That's it, you know, man. I, I mean, in, in the school, we teach these men that you, you better learn know how to do all three. We teach them how to do all three. You know, we spend some time with expository preaching because typically it's a more difficult style of preaching, more methodology associated with it. But we tell them, man, man, you better not get in the congregation and all you do is preach topical, all you do is preach expository because you know, that'll become mundane to, to it, the people that you It's like fishing, yeah. if, I'm gonna try to, if I'm trying to catch perch, I can't use a big old treble hook. Yeah, if yeah, I'm trying to go up and catfish, I'm not going to lose a, a rubber worm. No. You, you change the method, the, 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 the tool you're using, right. depending on yeah. what you're trying to accomplish. Catch right. So there's certain times, with certain hand. crowds, you mentioned Brother <laughs> Shepard earlier, and you have a you know, congregation, it's all members, and we're going to be the same ones here at Sunday night or something. Yep. A good Bible textual study, just a step outside of Bible class is wonderful. You got a 400 visitors coming every Sunday morning. You better get on several different things, yeah. topically probably, to get them to it. So right. there's no right and wrong there. Yeah. But there's something very wrong with saying your way is wrong. That's right. That's yeah. the issue yes. you're making. Exactly right. Exactly right. Yeah. And and look, we're six preachers sitting here, man. So we could uh, definitely talk about this and be in just hawk heaven, as they say, all day long. But we we got to wrap it up here. Time is getting short. Uh, brothers, if you will, just speak, kind of wrap us up here with the pricelessness of preaching. You know, I think about the pricelessness of preaching, being of one mind, one judgment. You know, we're, we are accused a lot of causing difficulty in the brotherhood. But let me just make this one statement and I'll pass it on. It's not those who stand for what is right who cause trouble in the brotherhood. It's those who do not stand for what's right that cause trouble in the brotherhood. And so the pricelessness of preaching, you know, the pressure of preaching, uh, is something we need to be involved in and that can only happen mm -hmm. when we're standing for what is right and true and that makes our jobs, our profession as preachers so, so important because mm -hmm. souls hang in the balance of That's our right. truth. When you look through the annals of history uh, in, in Israel's history and, and, and the Old Testament, we understand that miracles formed a part of that as it was still within God's purpose and, and some into the New Testament. And we see those miracles and we think about the grandeur of a miracle. We talked about this the other day as we talking about um, as we looked at the sun you know, standing still uh, as that language is used. And you think about the magnificence of that miracle. You think about what had to happen, the Lord causing the rotation of the earth to stop and all, just a magnificent thing. And there are other magnificent miracles in the scriptures that uh, the Lord sets forth, that the Lord gave man power to do. But what always accompanies those miracles is the preaching of the Word of God. God yeah. sent a man to Nineveh, and what was he supposed to do? preach. The power of miracles, I think, highlights the pricelessness of, of preaching. It really does. It, it makes it emphatic. God says, this word that my man is preaching is so important. I'm going to demonstrate to yes. you in this, of course, first century setting and prior yeah. to that, that there's no mistaking that he's telling you the truth and that he's my man. And so for, for you and I today in a 21st century setting, man, we've got to be so thoroughly familiar with yeah. the Word of God, and we've got to be so versed in being able to proclaim it 
properly uh, that there's there's no mistake in people's minds of what we're showing them and what we're telling them is the truth man thank you guys so, so much for being with us on the sure. biblical christianity podcast man we got to kind of wrap it up right here brother as far as time i give you the last word go ahead the concept of eternality out there paul says how can they hear without a preacher yeah. it's priceless yeah. because you're not going to heaven without it that's it brother. that's final word that, that's a good word good final word so Thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate you being with us on the Biblical Christianity Podcast. We certainly hope that you'll be with us on next time. As we mentioned, this was a special edition uh, where we're all here together in Nesbitt, Mississippi. We want to do a little longer edition on the subject of preaching, which is so near and dear to our hearts. But if you have any questions, as always, any comments, our email address will be on the screen. Please don't hesitate to write to us. Let us know if you approve or disapprove. Give us any questions or any suggestions. Thank you for joining us. Amen.